Can you imagine having a cancer conference and remission was to be removed from the entire agenda? We don't want to stop people from having cancer. We don't want to stop people from having heart disease. We don't want to, st- you know what I mean? It's just absolutely insane. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Hey, welcome back to uh, another edition of From Darkness to Life. It's Ryan here. I got my good buddy Rick sitting across the table from me. Good day, fine Say hello to the people, Rick. Hello, people. (laughs) Hey, uh, sitting here in the Plugged In Media Network studio as usual. We got Dave in the background working all the magic. Hello, Dave. And we got a guest tuning in. He's zoomed in from uh, New Westminster today from out west. Giuseppe, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. So I got good, one good. question for you before we get too far into this. For me uh, or Giuseppe? For Giuseppe. Okay. So is it like New Westminster or New Westminster? New Westminster. Minster. 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 Okay. Dave was right. Yeah. Uh, now I got to say like, for lunch. It's the same thing as Calgary, right? If you're from Calgary, it's Calgary. If you're not from Calgary, it's Calgary. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I, I say Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Calgary. Right, right yeah, on. Yeah, not yeah, local. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So yeah, we've uh, we we connected with Giuseppe at the Recovery Capital Summit in Calgary last month, and uh, had the privilege of being at that convention or that summit a few times now, and we were lucky enough to present this year. And cross paths. What a wonderful summit that you guys put on up there. That's an amazing event. Wasn't it great? You know, the Recovery Capital Summit, it was uh, April 12th and 13th this year. Um, It took place, it was the fifth anniversary of the, of the conference. And uh, it's, you know, it started off, I work at Last Door Recovery Society. It's an addiction treatment center for youth and adults out in BC, been around for a while. We just had our 25th anniversary for our youth program a couple nights ago. Uh, That was a huge fun night. Uh, Lots of uh, kids and, and alumni that are in their early 20s were there. It was it was a pretty special moment. Last Door has been around for almost 40 years as an agency and years. And I've been going to a lot of conferences. I'm not a counselor. I work in community de- development. I was a client here, you know, got my lived experience story that goes along with it. And, um, you know, as I was in the role of, you know, learning about the addiction healthcare industry, which it is an industry in Canada, uh, we went to a lot of conferences that were, you know, all about big pharma and the pharmacology, which is needed. But it always seemed like the recovery conversation was like in the small room mm-hmm. at lunchtime. <laughs> so nobody went and and everything else was everything else. And, and a lot of, um, not to say other conferences aren't as great. I, mean, I have a biased opinion, but it just seemed... <laughs> It just seemed like recovery wasn't the conversation mm-hmm. um, at a lot of conferences. Uh, drug use was. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that people are just going to use drugs, so might as well manage drug use. I, I get it, but we can't stop talking about recovery because some people want to stop. And, and some people don't know they want to stop until it's actually given to them as an option. Yeah. And so my colleague, Jessica, you know, Jessica Cooksey had brought this idea of recovery capital to our organization um, about seven years ago. And it was just nice because a lot of people would go to our, like we have a swag booth when we go to conferences, you know, you've gone to conferences and you've seen them and, and everyone would be like, what's your success rate? And you would know that the only thing they care about is, you know, somebody sober for the rest of their life. Because if they're not, you're a failure. Yeah. You know, that kind of nonsense, right? Especially with our youth program. Kids come, they live with us for a few months. You know, they go back to school. They return to use. They're not dead. They're not in jail. You know, that's success. Um, so we liked the idea of recovery capital because it was pathway neutral. It was about quality of life. It was about better health, which is the direction healthcare should be. Like healthcare is about improving your health. 
And um, so building recovery capital is what we uh, really dove ourselves into. And we started this conference five years ago. And in Calgary, it was the biggest we've ever had, like over 900 people showed up. Um, it was it was just like people in Calgary were just, you know, overwhelmed. I mean, I, I've been to a lot of conferences, ain't too much hugging going around. Right. Like people were hugging each other. They were inspired by the speakers, you know, and, and, and it's funny because some people like oh it's about abstinence because the word recovery is in the title and it's just where did i wish this would go away like we had the virtual opioid clinic on there we you know we had you know uh, conversations about uh, psychedelics we had conver in recovery i mean there was so much in the program but what we kept in the program was also 12-step recovery too, because mm -hmm. that has just as much evidence. And it's funny, this war that happens with harm reduction, it's like, oh, you know, there's recovery in the program. <laughs> it's just like, well, yeah, you know, there's recovery, there's harm reduction, there's everything in the program. We got a huge problem in this country. It's like, you're either, you know, uh, you know, marching the the streets in army boots and a naloxone kit on your hip shoulder or on your hip, sorry, or you're like at a twelve step meeting in a basement. And that middle piece, that's we need to work on that middle piece. And and you know, the abstinence community has done a lot of work over the years. Like where I work, last door isn't the same it used to be. You know, fifteen twenty years ago, uh, but people live in time warps. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just like. It, it, there's just so much more we can do, you know, and, and, and I know some people will get triggered by this, but we really turned into a, a country, you know, from here to Nova Scotia, you know, where it's like, let's meet people where they're at period. And, and that's not, that's not, you know, what the founders of harm reduction ever wanted. You know, I've talked to people that were around because I was still using out there that were around when harm reduction was starting to make its way into uh, North America. It was always like meet people where they're at and help carry them forward. Mm -hmm. It was never leave them there. And you say that, and how you know, you're, you're being an elitist to like yeah. decide where people need to be. It's just like, I don't think people should be left on the street covered in blood, bleeding with sores everywhere. You know, and all you do is give them a needle, a condom, some lube, and 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 maybe a little bit of food if they're hungry, like cereal. I mean, I don't know if any of your listeners have walked down on Hastings Street. Like it's yeah. tragic. It's it really tragic. Is. So so that's where the conference came up for it. It was trying to build unity amongst healthcare providers and the and the pathways to recovery because it doesn't matter how you build recovery capital you can build it with suboxone you can build it with abstinence you can build it with methadone you can build it with church you can build it with yoga you can build it with mm -hmm. legos mm -hmm. like whatever you want to do just how is it improving your life and lots of evidence out there people that build recovery capital have better health not just physical health but mental health and and that's the goal of, of the recovery capital conference there's no like hidden agenda to make everybody in Canada abstinence from drug use. That's not how you build recovery capital. It helps. And we'll defend that opportunity because it is evidence-based. You know, so so that that's what that's all about. Uh, you know, the Twitter and Facebook comments, they were just hurtful. Mm -hmm. You know, just just absolutely hurtful. But we move on and we know what we're doing is right. And and we're just trying to help people. And you know, the, all the people that I mean, people attacked the conference yeah. on social media and they attacked it and it's like there's over 400 indigenous health teams there learning about you know recovery capital and how you know culturally safe interventions and like like it was it was an emotional two days yeah. with all of them and part of reconciliation and and part of moving forward and 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 people just attacking everybody there and because the word recovery was in the title it's mm. absolutely insane yeah can you imagine just, I'll leave it on this. Can you imagine having a cancer conference and remission was to be removed from the entire agenda? We don't want to stop people from having cancer. Yeah. We don't want to stop people from having heart disease. We don't want to, you know what I mean? It's just absolutely insane. And somebody said really well, you know, this argument makes it where you're running around. And I think you probably heard him say this. You're running around and just, you know, giving people that have heart issues and heart attacks, you know, you know, the electroshocks and stuff, but, but not having any conversation about 
quitting smoking, you know, diet, none of that. Just like mm-hmm. running around, shocking you. Okay, his heart beats. He's got breath. Let's go. Go ahead, eat your cheeseburgers, smoke your cigarettes, drink all your booze, do whatever you want. Like that. That's not what we do when it comes to any other disease. But for addiction, for some reason, that's what we're 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 being told to do through yeah. the world of Twitter and Facebook. It's it's crazy. Talk about stigma. Yeah, yeah. you're just an addict. You'll yeah. never get clean. So. Yeah, we even took, you know, we did a fair bit of promotion, you know, participating in the event and, and thank you hugely for the invitation to participate. Um, it was an, it was an honor to be included in that. Um, but, you know, with our social media posts regarding it, we took we took a lot of hits, too, from our local um, primarily harm reduction community. Yeah. And uh, and there was a couple of times I got to tell Ryan, I'm like, just stop, man. Stop and mm-hmm. like. There's nothing you're going to say, like no. you're getting worked up and pissed off. And I'm like, just stop, <laughs> like, just stop engaging. Yeah. Cause you're, this you're is insane. Yeah, like, this you're is not going to talk about, you're this not going to convince them. I'm like, just yeah. stop, dude. Like, yeah. just enjoy yeah. your time here. Enjoy what we're learning. You know, they're, they're on yeah. their path. Just stick to yours and it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Absolutely. The people weren't even there. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, and the funny part is they compare, you know, Alberta to BC and the Alberta model. And I mean, have you been to BC? Like, have you like, are you out of your mind? Like BC is not anything near to what should be best practice. And I'm in BC and, you know, I work in a facility. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. If you can, I mean, it's tragic. People are being rescued, rescued, okay, out mm-hmm. of the downtown east side. Like families are like they 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 lose their loved ones and they have to hire private interventionists and private recovery coaches to get their loved ones out of that system, and and everyone's okay with that. Wow. Yeah. Well, even you know how many harm reduction people have called me and said, "Hey, is there any way you can get my this friend of mine into treatment?" Yeah. You know, but everybody else is just like, "Here's your needle and condom." It's it's just absolutely gross. It's mm-hmm. so gross. You know, for you know, it's just like it's just absolutely gross what goes on down there. You know, yeah. and I always share that if you're a nurse or a physician, and we all know they're addicted to opiates as well. No difference than somebody pushing a cart. Yeah, and if if the nurse physician that works in an overdose prevention site has an addiction to opiates and gets honest or gets clean about their um, substance use they get private abstinence-based treatment paid for by taxpayers but if their patient says to them hey you know what i want to stop using right now they're told to get in line, wait in line. Here's your safe supply. You know, here's this. It's like the most stigmatizing healthcare system in the world operates in British Columbia. It's just like, I'm going to go to the private treatment center, $12,000 a month in another province that's abstinence-based. But you, you know, you're just a street worker. You're just, a, you know, here's your safe supply. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Because you'll never change. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And and the fact that that's not the number one priority that we need to change in this country for access to health care shows just how polarized we are as populations here. And it doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't yeah. need to be that way at all. The Alberta model is actually trying to change that. I mean, unfortunately, Jason Kenney got sent out, uh, resigned yesterday. I mean, I don't know about all the other issues and why and all that, but when it comes to being a person that understands the recovery-oriented systems of care, like he was a really good ally and he's going to be missed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wasn't against harm reduction like everybody points him out. He was against people staying sick. Yeah. Um, and there's a big difference, but Twitter just changed that into like he's a villain when it comes to harm reduction. And it's not true. I mean, he shut down a consumption site that was stealing money. Like, <laughs> like everybody should applaud him for that, yeah, yeah. not not hate him for that. Like, yeah, you don't steal, you know, millions of dollars and get to operate still. So I, I will say this about about Jason Kenny is I, I did have I did have some p- opinions of him, as all people do, of of politicians, yeah. right? Once I met the man and I had the privilege of sitting down and chatting with him one-on-one a few times. Um, and even at the recovery summit, yeah. you know, you know, when all the doors were closed and all the mm-hmm. cameras were gone and all the people were gone, there's maybe six or eight of us. I think you were in the room there, Giuseppe, um, when it was just, you know, just us. 
he was still inquisitive. He was still like, he genuinely passionately cared about this. Mm -hmm. And it was like, Oh, you, you do understand. And it, it, it was, and just so inquisitive, right? Not uh, judgmental. And I think I I absolutely agree with you. He (laughs) will be there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have been, I I can't even count how many conferences I've been to, especially pre COVID. Like, I mean, 30 a year I've been to addiction mental health conferences i've never seen a premier at any of them ever sit down and actually listen and stay for two days and and stayed yeah like i don't know so i mean stayed for the conversation after like the meeting after the meeting almost they show up they take pictures they do their speech they leave yeah like he stayed and and he knew like it, it wasn't about this or that it was about getting people healthy and not leaving them there he actually understood the piece about moving people forward and so yeah we we live in a province in bc anyway uh, you know where where it's okay to just you know have this two-tiered healthcare system and and we're NDP in BC and the two-tiered healthcare system in BC. I mean, you all talk about Alberta having private healthcare and, and yeah. you know, all that. Come to BC, like it's, you know how many private physicians there are here and how many private nurses there are here? It's like, like everybody in Alberta, like just forget about Twitter. Look at BC's Twitter handles and start looking at that. You'll realize how insane it is. I, I, you can't even find a doctor in British Columbia unless you have money. Like you can't. Well, you can walk into these walk-in clinics and get a doctor but uh, you can't do anything unless you have money with a psychiatrist a psychologist a physician a nurse it's unbelievable uh, when it comes to that so so we'll never get over this overdose crisis until we remove the two-tiered healthcare system we'll never get over it well i think an interesting point too is what kind of arose very shortly after um um the recovery capital summit was uh, comments made by the chief medical officer of BC that you um, you very adamantly defended your position very vocally and uh, it was yeah. I want to commend you on that if you want to speak to that a little percent yeah yeah I mean we try not to be too vocal <laughs> actually no we do we try to be really vocal um, yeah she she annoyed me I mean I I, I you know she, it's complicated because she's are the chief medical officer in BC actually has a lot of power compared to Alberta. Like um, Hinshaw has, you know, still in, in Alberta, the premier and the minister of health carry the power in BC. You know, Henry has power and, and, and with that power comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. And, and with that image that she has, it carries a lot of responsibility. And, And she was quoted in an article you know, this is the second time this has happened, by the way. Wow. So the first time it was a, a leader of one of the health authorities saying that uh, 12-step recovery is an evidence-based and should not be tried. And, and, and oh, she also said treatment is not a useful way to do only harm reduction works for addiction. Mm-hmm. Treatment doesn't. And so we tried to, we raised a big stink and, and, and did a petition. That was about a year ago. And uh, there was no retraction of her comments there was no penalty no nothing i mean this is in charge of a health authority this person and um and it was uh a mis we received an email back a while later saying it was a misquote a miss no not even a misquote it was a misunderstanding we're like i don't know how do you misunderstand that and so you know we realized there's a beast terror we can't fix it but when bonnie henry did it it was just like, yeah, no, this isn't okay. And so we created a letter campaign. About 3,000 people sent letters that we know of because we have analytics, but it probably more than that. And and here's the sad part. No reply, no retraction, no comment, no, not even like, hey, y'all, you misunderstood. Uh, she said that opiate addicts can't recover. Recovery shouldn't be tried. Um, and uh, And that's it. Like just period. Absolutely. Oh, and then there's more than that. Wait. <laughs> oh, wait, it gets better. <laughs> she had a colonoscopy apparently. And like, yeah, she understands why fentanyl is such a great drug. 
and she can see why people get addicted to it. It was just like, listen here, you got, I don't know if you know her and her shoes, yeah, yeah, she's yeah, got her Fluvog yeah. shoes. Like you show up in your probably Beamer or Mercedes and your Fluvog shoes to a hospital, get yourself, you know, pumped up with a little bit of fentanyl, get picked up by security, taken home to your king size bed with probably beautiful duvets. Like I'm glad you have the white privilege to not get addicted to fentanyl like everyone else does, but right. don't ever say fentanyl is a great drug. Yeah. Like, don't ever say that again. Like we, I have personally tons of friends that are dead. Like fentanyl is not a great drug and you're the chief medical officer. And so we like, that's what we're fighting with. Like fentanyl is a great drug. Like what a, that's pretty horrible to say. Absolutely. And uh, she got away with it. And you know what? Harm reduction community doesn't say shit. You know what I mean? If she would have sat there and said insight doesn't work, it doesn't help, front page news retraction. I mean, the harm reduction community would start going into convulsions, but somebody attacks the recovery community or says that opiate addicts can't get clean and sober. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, because that's what they truly believe. Maybe I don't know, but so I, I go back to the AIDS crisis when the AIDS cri- and I was part of that and, and I was you know very much involved in the in the in the scene when the AIDS cri- a lot of my friends died as as well. Right. Luckily, I didn't. Um, everyone got on the same street together and marched down the street for one sole purpose: a cure. You know, we didn't say, oh, you know what, like, you're, you're just a sex addict. He's just, you know, here, we'll just help you with condoms for the rest of your life. And, you know, there was there was this unity in getting a cure. Not to say there was a cure for addiction, but there was a sense of unity amongst everybody. We don't have that here. So when Bonnie Henry made that comment... It would have been nice to see all these harm reduction people that go and start trolling everybody's recovery accounts to also participate in that argument, but they didn't. And so that's the problem. Why didn't you? Like, we noticed that you didn't. And so if you're a harm reductionist and you're like getting all antsy about this uh, talk that we're having, like, think about it. Where were you when Bonnie Henry said we can't get clean and sober? Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of opiate addicts that oh, are clean. Absolutely. Talk about disrespectful. 3,000 people sent an email, thousands of comments and posts on social media. And some harm reductionists are defending her. Oh, that's not what she means. It's just like, what is your problem? That's exactly <laughs> what she means. Absolutely. And if she doesn't mean it, then cleared why up. Why hasn't she fixed it? Yeah, cleared yeah. up for sure. So obviously she means it. And she never, she never has sent. A, oh, this was misquoted or anything like that. So, so yeah, you know, you thought we had just had a fentanyl problem. Well, it's a lot worse than that. Yeah. Well, I even uh, you know, it's I've made no secret about it. I went through a shoulder rebuild here about a year and a half ago, and and even the surgeon was, you know, they were. <clears throat> I said, you know what, I get it. You know, I got to do what I got to do while I'm in surgery. You know, you're free to do whatever. But as soon as I'm out of there, like, I'm keep the painkillers away from me right and uh she just kind of laughed she's like you won't you won't be able to do that and i'm like no no no. like i'm a drug addict as soon as you mention shit i'm i can already taste yeah. it in the back of my throat because in my mind i've already crushed it up and snorted it and she yeah. just kind of laughed at me and she's like you won't get through yeah. you won't get through this without painkillers and uh yeah. and i did and she prescribed you know all of the good stuff right and uh mm-hmm. and while i was in the recovery room she handed the prescription to my wife because she knew i wouldn't take it and she said you know when he needs it here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my wife's been with me through hell, right? So she knows, like, totally. she took it, but tucked it into her purse and like, he'll never even know that I got this. And uh, when I went back for my one month follow-up, she just kind of joked, the surgeon kind of jokingly laughed and said, you know, so uh, how'd you do without the painkillers? And I'm like, I did fine. It took me two yep. days of kind of riding through some shit, but um, yep. that beats so the hell out of the alternative, you know, so and she was shocked. She yep. was shocked. She couldn't believe it. She said, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm yeah, standing here to tell you it's not. Yeah, that's such a common conversation. You know, we were talking about this with someone else, and uh, she had a friend of mine. Her name's Jen. She had to, her husband's a, 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 an addict in recovery, and uh, she was the nurses all like, "Oh, you, I'm going to give you some fentanyl. It's going to be great for your pain." Just this whole romanticizing yeah. of it all, and and Jen was like, "I really don't appreciate this. Like, it's it's you know, I'll take it as a pain medicine, but like it was almost like." 
yeah, I got some good stuff for yeah, you. Like, what is happening? This. Well, like, and, and it was funny because they're like, well, just just use it as we describe, like, use yeah. it as we told you to. I'm like, yeah, yeah, if I fucking could, I would. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty wild. That's yeah. not what I'm going to yeah. do. And I'm telling you, yeah. that's not what I'm going to do. So, yeah, no. exactly. Like, why is that even necessary? Yeah. Like, why is it even necessary to talk like that? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't even make any sense. So, I don't know. I don't know. So the goal here is to to just keep recovery, the idea of recovery available, mm-hmm. um, noticeable. Um, you know, we we hid in the rooms of anonymity for a long time. You know, I don't know why, like anonymity for those that are in 12-step programs. You know, it's one of the traditions, but, you know, I... I have some pretty amazing role models around me and anonymity doesn't mean invisibility, yeah. you know, and, and there's things around that. And so, you know, the recovery day movement started, um, you know, over a decade ago here in Canada, I'm the chair of recovery day, BC, that picture behind me is actually 2019 of recovery day in new West. That's about three blocks from my office here where i'm coming from you it's one of the largest recovery days in in north america um you know COVID obviously hit um that that i think um i can't remember which one was our 10th anniversary i'm bad with numbers but that was the largest one but it started off with like you know a couple hundred people and hardly any vendors um, because everybody was fighting. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, who's going to be there? And is this a 12-step thing? And, you know, is this place going to be there? And, and you know, it was just, it was just a big mess. <laughs> yeah. a big mess of arguing. And so I really wanted to, like, get away from the politics of recovery. And, you know, I have a bit of a background in festivals. And I was just like, hey, like, we don't need, you know, um, a recovery event that is, you know, you know, a bunch of personal stories. And like we go to meetings for that. We, mm-hmm. There's conventions. The 12-step community already handles that. I wanted to create an event that was, you know, where everything was there, just a big pot of stew, you know, just everything's in the in there. And, and so yeah, like there's gonna be harm reduction there, there's gonna be church programs there, there's gonna be 12-step programs there, there's gonna be non-12-step programs there, there's even gonna be axe throwing there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything's gonna be there, you know. And so it's unique in that way. It's like a mosh between a health fair, entertainment, kids zone, kind of everything. And we use that model to keep forward and, 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 and it got bigger and then bigger and bigger. And then 2019, it was just like insane. I think we had about 30,000 people show up that goes on for six blocks that way. And a few blocks this way, back and forth, like across. And uh, that's a picture from one of the stages. And, and we're going to do that again this year. You know, we got a really big event planned on September 10th. Um, in New Westminster. So if you want to come down, check it out. It's it's worth the trip. Um, it's it's you know I had somebody a vendor it was one of the unions, and they had a bit set up, and uh, this person had been to many festivals. I actually see them at other festivals because we set up where I work, we set up our last door booth at outreach booths and stuff. And I was just like, what'd you think? You know, I had a moment to ask her, you know, after that, she's like, she cried. She's like, I've never, like, it's like everybody knew each other. It was just one big, one big family. And people were like, just so, you know, that sense of like gratitude to be alive was there. And then other people just, you know, really, really attached to it. Kind of like what you guys experienced at the Recovery Capital Conference. It's like, I think it's that idea of hope. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to get messed up and high and drunk to have fun. There's that. There's the idea of like, these people are heroes and survivors. Like they all didn't have to go there. They could have just stayed home and watched Netflix, but they came out and and then there's a bunch of new people there that are just like, what is this? You know, so... (laughs) You collect that and it just ends up being a pretty special uh, experience uh, for a lot of people. The city loves it. And um, you know, we're looking forward to doing that again on September 10th. That's awesome. Yeah. We should try to make it out there. But um, the one thing that I wanted to touch on that you spoke about was um, I think we do do, you know, uh, a bit of a disservice to recovery as a community when we, you know, it, 
whatever side of the spectrum, the majority, we were actually just talking about this before we aired, um, just about politics, right? Is, is everybody seems to be extremists now. And you're either on this end of the spectrum or on that end of the spectrum. Now, whether it's left wing or right wing, whether it's harm reduction or, or abstinence, there's, it just doesn't feel like there's much room for a hybrid of anything anymore. And so, you know, that's kind of the position Mm -hmm. that we're trying to take at OCJ here is, um, you know, I know what worked for me and I'm an advocate for what worked for me, but just because it worked for me, I can't guarantee that it's going to work for you. And, and our, our role here is to help you facilitate your recovery and whatever that looks like, let's explore it together. Let's explore those journeys. Let's try and find a solution to mm-hmm. whatever you're suffering from and, and whatever that's, whatever that recovery looks like to you. Um, because, you know, we talk to a lot of people on both ends of the spectrum. We've had guests in here from both, you know, uh, you know, the big book thumping guys to the harm reductionists. We've had both voices in this room and, uh, and at the end of the day, you know, everybody seems to be on the same page where they're just trying to care for people. And, and, uh, I don't ever want to get to a point that I'm like, this is the one way to do this because it's just simply wrong mm. or else you end up being like Bonnie H- Henry going, you know, this doesn't work. Well, fuck, uh, you're an idiot to say anything doesn't work when you've got people well, standing I, I, in front I'll of you. you. I'll tell you what the barrier is. So there used to be this thing that you, you know, it's called client centered care. And it was like the new, like client centered care, client centered care. We do client centered care. We, you know, it was just, it was a beautiful hashtag and nice idea, but really it's grant centered care. Client centered care doesn't exist in Canada. And anybody that says they're client centered care is just like, they're, they're not even telling the truth. Like, so I, and I, I please, you know, if you say you do client centered care, I'm not disrespecting you. What I'm saying is from what I've experienced and I've been to stakeholder. I've actually slowed down going to stakeholder meetings because I used to have hair before I went to stakeholder <laughs> meetings. Like it's absolutely the most, pay- I've been attacked. I've been accused. I've been told like, you're a human being. Don't ever call yourself an addict again. Like, I'm just like, like, what did you just say to me? Like, <laughs> is anybody going to protect me? Like in the BCCSU, I wrote them a letter saying I got attacked at your stakeholder meeting. And you know, this, person you know was attacking my identity you know what they told me i misunderstood like i was just like like i mean i couldn't even believe that was the response i got so long story short it's grant-centered care Mm -hmm. like you write a grant that says you know i'm going to help people recover from addiction you ain't getting that grant you tell people you're going to smoke, build a smoke inhalation room, you get the grant. You, mm-hmm. I'm going to build a safe consumption set, you're going to get a grant. And it's called the SUAP grant. So how much millions have they given out? Like, you know, $2 million for this consumption site, $2 million for this safe supply site. It's just the money floating. And I know because we've applied, we've gone to Health Canada. Like, I'm not just saying this because I read it on Twitter. Like, I've experienced this. We went to Ottawa. We sat with Health Canada. We wanted an explanation as to why all of our recovery grants get denied but yet you're getting you know what i mean it's not like oh wow wow you lost or you didn't get the grant we were seeing this theme and i tell you i kid you not word for word health canada the meeting was was with the minister of health and health canada the minister of health didn't show up because obviously you know she's got minions to do her work Mm -hmm. her dirty work and um This is exactly what they said. The federal mandate is not recovery. It's harm reduction. Mm -hmm. If you want that to change, you need to get the house to change it. And the meeting was over. It was just like, did anyone hear that? And I wasn't the only one in the room. There was nine of us in the room. Some of us got pretty emotional and sad and it was it was horrible. So then we went to my MP here in BC to try to get that changed. And we created a motion to make September recovery month and to make recovery, you know, have some kind of federal thing. Standard. And we and we were told maybe try to do slowly start it with this. And uh, the motion got denied. They didn't want to create a recovery month nationally. And so you tell me. <laughs> 
how I misunderstood all of that. Like I'm just sitting here, I get this lens, I have this opportunity and that's what we were told. And then people are telling me, Oh, you know, you're, you're bent out of shape for no reason. Like everybody, you know, recovery is available to everybody. And I'm just like, okay, so Bonnie Henry's telling you, you can't get clean. Um, you know, sue up grants, you know, unless, uh, unless, so that's the whole grant centered. So if I say recovery is safe supply, I get a grant. And I'm not saying safe supply isn't recovery, but you got to understand the play on words there, mm. you know? So I don't know. Get out of the room. Like recovery is not our mandate. Uh, okay. So we just supposed to leave the room and not say anything. So we do recovery day. We do the conference. We, we, we trigger a couple of people on Twitter and, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we do it on purpose because we just want our allies to see just how crazy this is. Like, yeah. look at what these people are saying, you know, look what they're saying. Like they say, we kill people. I don't, I don't go around killing people, you know? And then totally. the fact that you're even okay with saying that, like the tr- the the microaggressions and the trauma, but we just keep on going, we just keep on moving, and 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 the idea that anybody can recover can't can't lose steam. No, and it's sure. and it's people like you and my friends and the hundreds of people that volunteer at our events that make sure that that's possible. And, and yeah, we've got dead friends too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always tell people that there's an opportunity for them to actually recover. And, and, and we can't go to a place where we just carte blanche people with substance use disorder and say, you know what, you'll never get clean. Here's this version of your drug. Take it for the rest of your life. Like, that's like, what happened? Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Like, is it the 60s? Like, you know, <laughs> once an addict, always an addict. Like, what is happening? And why are people just sitting down, you know, you know, this whole Jason Kenny thing? Where was the recovery community in Alberta? Like, Jason Kenny increased everyone's funding for treatment, got everybody accredited, got rid of user fee actually said the words recovery i mean where was the recovery community you know why weren't they like supporting him like like the harm reduction people support rachel whatever her name is it's just we we recover and we disappear and we move on yeah and And i think you know one thing that i think you said really well is is uh the anonymity piece that's i think is you know that that is that has really been a detriment i feel you know uh, like I absolutely respect the traditions of twelve step recovery. I understand that the, the I understand the purpose of the twelve step traditions. Understand why they're there to protect it as a whole. But um, you know, I'm 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 not afraid to stand up and say I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict because I know my story is I didn't identify. I wouldn't. I didn't recognize what I was because to me it was only the most destitute that were those that had those titles, and so it was hard for me to even self-identify as that because I didn't fit the, this, the generalized image that I had in my mind of what that was. And so it just allowed me to live in that and, and get closer and closer and closer and farther and farther down, which eventually led me to, um, you know, suicide. And I think that's the biggest thing. That's what we've been trying to do since day one here is just tell our story so that people know, you know, recovery is possible. You know, mm-hmm. this is, you know, and, and we, we, it's kind of a shitty little catchphrase, but it was like, you know, uh, a, a mild attempt at changing the industry from a, a, the face of addiction to the face of recovery and using mm-hmm. recovery as the focus, not addiction as the focus, because absolutely, I mean, we're sitting here, right? Yeah. The three of us, by all rights, like we're all sitting here. We're proof. Like you can't say it doesn't work when we're sitting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Building on our strengths, you know, absolutely. and, 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 this is all building recovery capital. It is. It's like community capital, social mm-hmm. capital, uh, physical capital. Like you need all those pieces to get well. And and to do that, you still need hope and you still need community and you need connection and you need all that. And, and you know, sadly, it's, you know, this whole thing that Bonnie Henry did, this is how gross it is. So doctors need to understand your addiction and that it's chronic relapsing. So you need to be, you know, given medication. A doctor has maybe three to four minutes with you. Mm -hmm. Maybe like maybe. So 
where's the community and the connection? And so we're going to turn addiction healthcare into a quick sit down with a doctor. Oh, here you go. Here's your prescription. See you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. So where's the other piece? You know, everybody talks about wraparound services. There's no, what is that? That's like client centered care. Like it's not real. Everybody worries about what's going on within their four business walls. That doctor, he cares about his, his, his moment with you and his billing. And not that that's a, like the doctor's bad. That's their, like they have to see 50 patients today or hundred mm-hmm. patients. So it's just the real world. There's the, there's this thing, there's the the boardroom table with the whiteboard world where everybody comes up and, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Prescribe everybody. It was wonderful. Then there's the real world, you know, and I know so many stories with our uh, clients here that go to these clinics and they're never told to go to a meeting. They're never told about recovery there unless they get rescued. Like I started the show off by an interventionist or, or uncle Jimmy, who's an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> like unless that happens and it shouldn't be that way. Everyone should have access to all the pathways. So unless you're lucky or you walk into the wrong person or your uncle's an alcoholic, like that's the problem with what Bonnie Henry said. It's just like, oh, the doctor's just going to prescribe you meds. Well, what about the other piece? And and so now you have a, a, a mom who's scared of shit because everyone's dying, yeah. who has no family members in AA or NA or anything, has no history of therapy. They're new to Canada. Who are they going to listen to? They only have one person, the doctor, who's been told by Bonnie Henry that everyone needs to be on meds, and that's it. So talk about classification, eh? Like, it's just absolutely insane. Yeah. You know, that. tell Bonnie Henry, like, I've done this before. Bonnie Henry, you're invited to come onto this stage. It's going to be at 6 and 6 in New West on September 10th. And I want you to go on the microphone and tell all these people Opiate recovery is impossible and it doesn't work. I invite you. This is a personal invite like to you, Bonnie, come to that stage and repeat your quotes that you told the media about opiate addicts. I I, like, I welcome you to like, if you like, just come and do it. Yeah. That's so wild. And that's the piece of that article that I read that really kind of grossed me out is when she said, um, we have to educate our doctors on addiction. And then followed it with those quotes, how abstinence-based recovery only works for alcohol and not for opioids. I'm like, what is, crazy. this is what you're educating your doctors on. This is yeah, crazy. Yeah. And who's going to be in the room when you educate those doctors and who's going to create the education piece and who, and who, you yeah. know what I mean? So, so like, it gets really bad when you go down the rabbit hole. Um, so. Yuck. Yeah. Rick yeah, loves don't need to educate our do- Don't need to educate our doctors on recovery. <laughs> Because I don't know, I don't know. Be honest with you, like there's this idea that recovery people, you know, maybe like 10, 20 years ago, like get totally absent. Like I don't know any opiate user that doesn't go on Suboxone or Methadone. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know of any. Yeah. And and like like here, no one does. You know, so they all go on some kind of replacement therapy. And so I, I, I don't know, like, what is, like, are we using old folklore tales from, like, the old days? Um, because they're, I mean, you can get Suboxone quicker than a Starbucks latte. Mm-hmm. And the Starbucks latte you have to pay for. Like, <laughs> Suboxone, you don't. Like, there's rapid clinics everywhere. Alberta has virtual uh, opioid access. So, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I don't know what everyone's talking about. Like, it's just, it doesn't happen. I don't go to my home group. And tell everybody that's on opiates replacement therapy to get off of it. Yeah. Like, and yeah, there might be some weirdo out there that might say that, but so like, that's life. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, I like, (laughs) what are you supposed to do? Control the world? You know, it's just like, yeah, there might be some bad apples in the recovery community that have some things to say that probably aren't best to say Mm -hmm. according to the climate and the evidence. Yeah. That doesn't paint don't paint us all with the same brush absolutely like i i i honestly and i'm around a lot of people i don't know any opiate users that aren't on mat in the beginning of their recovery and let's go down that tricky conversation of tapering and and de-prescribing yeah. i mean are like how do you complete medication is there no energy by the federal government? I'm saying this because I know the answer. There's no federal or provincial 
Well, except for Alberta, not even just a mandate, like an idea. Okay, so like 20,000 Canadians have died in five years. Maybe we need a response plan here. Mm -hmm. You know, so safe supplies, one, but like, how about the population that builds recovery capital? How do we deprescribe? So what is the deprescribing for safe supply? Yeah. There isn't one. And you're like. Interesting. What do you mean there isn't (laughs) one? (laughs) Oh, we don't have that. Well, wait a minute. So you just want to put everybody on meds or safe supply for like forever? Yeah. Like ever and ever? We have that conversation quite often. Like no deprescribing, no no medication completion policies totally. or ideas. And if you even bring it up, oh yeah, <laughs> don't do that. You're a witch, yeah, you know. Burn them to the stake, you know. Put them on Twitter and roast them. It's it's just it's <laughs> you know what it is. It's 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 fucking gross. Sorry for swearing, yeah. but it's it's like if you're poor, you have low recovery capital. Uh, English is a second language. You're 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 from the wrong side of the tracks, if that's yeah. what you want to call it. This is your life. Yeah, you're rich. You have some family. You have some social capital. Then we can go into the private sector. So anybody that wants to talk about you know private healthcare, it's everywhere, and every province doesn't matter what color you're red, blue, green, orange doesn't matter. It's there. And and addiction is 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 the canary. Like it's just yeah. addiction. Healthcare is the canary. Like it's just like that canary is long gone, long gone. You know, people call us. It's like, well, what do you mean? There's a six month wait list. That's British Columbia, anyway. What do you mean I have to pay? Mm-hmm. What's an inter? Like I just want in Portugal. <laughs> okay, the other thing that we're working on. So I wanted to figure out what the hell is going on in Portugal and Switzerland. So we decided to make a movie. It's not done yet uh, because the, the movie's ever going. Um, so it's called Crisis. And what is the real crisis? Is it fentanyl? And a little spoiler alert, it's not fentanyl. Um, you know, Portugal doesn't have a fentanyl crisis. Switzerland doesn't have a fentanyl crisis. Why? I mean, addiction is addiction. Drug use is drug use. Mm-hmm. Trauma is trauma. Like it's, why don't they have fentanyl? Why do we have it? You know, and so you'll have to watch the movie to figure that piece out. But for sure. in Portugal, okay, not crazy. In Portugal, if your son or daughter is 15, this is a country with decriminalization. Drugs are not illegal there. Well, no, they're illegal. They're not uh, punishable by law. If you have a son or daughter using drugs, you know who you call? The police. The police come to your house. They'll write your kid a ticket. And tell your kid to go to the Commission of Drug Dissuasion. Mm-hmm. Portugal has been doing dissuasion for 20 years. They haven't been doing anything else. And they have the lowest drug consumption overdoses in the world. And they used to have the worst. So I want you to think about that. Mm-hmm. They have been doing the just say no, Nancy Reagan dissuasion and and for 20 years. But everybody just talks about decrim, like as yeah. if drugs are legal there. You can't even smoke a joint on the streets of Lisbon. You can't. I couldn't find anybody that would publicly smoke a joint on camera on the streets of Lisbon. Anyone. Wow. I, it was the police run their healthcare system mm-hmm. there when it comes to addiction. You get your ticket, you go to the commission, the commission then decides whether or not you should go to treatment, if you need to do community service, if you get a fine all that kind of stuff. If people actually knew what the Portuguese yeah. model was, um, they would be, well, guess what's happened? So I don't know if you noticed in the media over the years, five years ago, six years, Portuguese model was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now that people are starting to realize, you know, with social media, what the Portuguese model really totally. is. We've had people from Portugal come to our conference to speak. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh no, we don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> Once no, they really dig in and see what it is, it's not yeah, we don't just decrim and no. drugs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In Vancouver City Council, they had a hear, uh, not a hearing. I don't know what they would call that, but they had a conversation about implementing decriminalization in Vancouver. And so the mayor could write a letter to the federal government saying that Vancouver wants decrim. In that meeting, if you listen to it, which I did, it was absolutely <laughs> crazy. So they got the entire population 
to really believe in the Portuguese model. So you go on Facebook and everyone's like, let's do what Portugal did. Let's do what Portugal mm -hmm. did. Let's do it. I mean, you see it all the time. I've got screenshots of so many of these, you know, the public has been told that the Portuguese model decriminalization saves lives yeah. and breaks down stigma. And that's it. Everybody that's all they it. know. Yeah. So, so you go to the city council meeting and they actually say word for word, that they do not want to follow the Portuguese model because it causes stigma mm -hmm. by dissuading people to do drugs, not to do drugs. <laughs> so we only want to do the decrim piece, but not the dissuasion piece. Right. That doesn't get really shared with anybody. Like every, like I mean, so really they don't want to do the Portuguese model. They just got everybody on to buy into the idea of decrim. Decriminalization had nothing to do with breaking down stigma in Portugal. And Dr. Galau even said so. I mean, you go to Portugal, you do drugs, you're a loser. <laughs> like you're, your mom will call the cops on you. For sure. So like it didn't, decriminalization does not remove stigma. You read that on Twitter and Facebook. It's a lie. It doesn't. Stigma is huge in Switzerland. They have safe supply. You use heroin in Switzerland. Like you're a loser. Like that's, I'm not saying you are a loser. If you use heroin, I'm saying that's what they say. Yeah. yeah. That's what they say. Like I was there. That's what they say. So it doesn't remove stigma whatsoever. It's just another hashtag, like client-centered care. It yeah. means absolutely nothing in reality. And like, I'm not making this stuff up. Like, it's just like, it's just absolutely what is real. Decriminalization, Dr. Golau, Nuno Capaz, all these people, they run the healthcare system when it comes to addiction in Portugal. They're like, it has nothing to do with stopping overdoses. Dissuasion does. Yeah. But you don't hear that here because there's this... Something for sure. Yeah. I know I was at the recovery capital summit, uh, three years ago. Was it when, uh, Capez was there from Portugal Yeah. and listening to his firsthand describe how they came up with it, what the Portuguese model is. It was eye opening because that's not what I had learned here. No, <laughs> it no. was amazing. I even asked Nuno, I'm like, Nuno, do you ever get upset when like you, you tell everybody what you do and then you read the paper and it's just like, like nothing you say is even in there except the idea that drugs somehow are legal in Portugal. Yeah. And he's like, ah, you get used to it. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Well, then like when we were at the summit this year and, and uh, Schellenberger was showing videos of that lady from the States that was, you know, reporting right to the white house on drug policy and just had that, that the Portuguese model completely twisted up and manipulated it to make, you know, her narrative was completely different than what it is. That's unbelievable. And that should be illegal. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like you're lying. <laughs> like, that's not even true. No. It's not even a misinterpretation. Like, you're actually lying. That's not what happens in Portugal. Yeah. So. Unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah, definitely. We are getting uh, close to our hour here that we try to stick within. So I was just wondering if you wanted to maybe discuss a little bit of the app you guys have put together. Because um, yes. I think this will benefit anybody who's out there um that's trying to understand the recovery capital model and and uh really just so there, there's life, two like things there's two pieces uh, technology is a big piece of healthcare, mm -hmm. and and uh, so we have two technology softwares out there one is called my recovery plan my recovery plan is uh as an ehr for healthcare providers so it's based for treatment centers so they can assess their patients' um, recovery capital. But not only that, the patient uh, is able to take a look at what their recovery capital is and, and eight domains, but they also get recovery plans and recovery goals attached. So how are they going to build their recovery capital over the next 30 days? So if somebody goes to treatment, they get an assessment, they get what's called an RCI, which is a recovery capital index score. It's a validated tool by Dr. David Bass. But it doesn't stop there. It's like, okay, so obviously when you're new, you're going to have low recovery capital. So how are we going to increase that recovery capital for over the next 30 days? And so you get goals and tasks that are in the categories of those domains. The client's responsible to do that. Like recovery doesn't happen to you. It doesn't just show up. Like you have to do work. And so this puts the onus on the patient as well to be part of their recovery journey. And then they get another recovery capital uh, assessment done 30, 45 days later. And 
hopefully it went up and, and what, what interventions helped. And then if the client didn't do any of their goals and their recovery capital is worse or they're like lower or they haven't gained any, is it the practitioner's fault or the counselor's fault or and not that it's anybody's fault, but you didn't do anything in the last 30 days to help. You know, you didn't stabilize your medications. You didn't go on medications. Mm-hmm. You didn't go to the, you know, family counseling to, to help see your kids. You didn't, you know, apply for a job. You didn't even look for a job. So that's why you don't have a job. You know, all that kind of narrative gets added and the client sees these charts and it's just like, this is what you're doing. This is what real life is. These are what your hopes are. You know, how are we going to, and, and the therapy to do that is not one way. It's what are your philosophies mm-hmm. as a counselor and as an agency? Could be 12-step, could be psychiatrist, could be smart recovery, could be life ring. Like I said earlier, could be anything. It's just how are you going to do it and how you, could be all of them. And how are you going to help increase somebody's recovery capital? Um, so it's myrecoveryplan.ca. You can check that out. There's a website with a video. Um, we've got lots of people using it right now. And, and we're just really looking forward to the data in 10 years from now. Like what is, we know how people are dying in this country, but no one's asking how people are surviving addiction. Mm-hmm. We are. We want to know how people are recovering. And so all those goals and tasks, it's all data now. And we're going to see like what's helping people, what's helping them get well and, and so forth. Uh, you know, we, we pitched this to Health Canada. They ain't interested. They're not even, not even, they're not even remotely. I'm just going to, they don't, they didn't even give a rat. They didn't, just didn't care. Didn't care. I'm like, wow. don't you want to know how people are recovering? And they're just like, you know, that doesn't sell. They, they want to, you know, how many people are dying if they can reduce that by one person? That's all they care. They don't care if that person that's living is, you know, in an SRO, high as a kite, never see their children, never see their parents. They don't care about that. They honestly don't. That's what I got out of that health canon meeting. They just want to say, hey, we, we helped two people survive. You know, that's yeah. it. That's all they care about. They don't care about the other piece. And that's just disgusting, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we're working on is a lot of my friends have died. And, you know, there was a one situation where, you know, this younger person had relapsed and I've relapsed. So I get it. Like, it's just you know, like everyone's judging me and no one wants to talk to me and I'm not part of recovery anymore. And, you know, a little, yeah, people gossip. I mean, I never left the bar because people were gossiping. Like people are people. <laughs> but the truth of it, most of it was in my head. And so, you know, we reached out to this young individual. We took him up for breakfast. We're like, hey, you know, come hang out and, you know, come to the home group, all this kind of stuff. And the next day he was dead. And I just thought to myself, I'm just like, how did that happen? And there's this piece out there where sometimes the recovery community is in the recovery community and the harm reduction community is in the harm reduction community and they don't mix. People don't go to consumption sites because they don't want to. Like, it's not they don't want to they want to sit on their couch watch their porn watch their tv they they do their hookers whatever it is that they're doing that's what they're doing like let's talk addiction if we're gonna talk addiction absolutely they're at home they don't want to go to a consumption site and i just thought to myself how could i help this individual and and so we created an app it's called uh, better app go to betterapp.ca and uh it's just an opportunity where we're hoping people in recovery join. It's got some social media. It's got uh, in-app step work, 15,000 speaker tapes. Um, you can build support groups. Um, there's uh, marathon meetings, all that kind of stuff. And But there's another piece called safety net in it. And so I could have told them, hey, if you're going to use tonight, make me your digital spotter. And it it works where it tells you where the person is. Uh, where they're where they're using and if they don't shut their alarm off um, you can call emergency services saying there's a suspected overdose uh, in this address and this is where they're located and 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 it's for sponsors who have sponsees that return to use it's just like they're not going to whatever the reason is they're not going to the consumption site this is an opportunity there's other apps out there you know Mm -hmm. i get it but this app kind of keeps harm reduction recovery all in one space. I find the harm reduction app is all about harm reduction. Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, in my crazy visions <laughs> that somebody that returns back to use, you know, uses the digital spotter uh, feature on better app, but also listens to a speaker tape or, you know, ends up seeing an old friend on the social media portion on the recovery wall and, 
they chat and they go to like just keeping that connection going rather than like, oh, you're not in recovery anymore. Leave the sober app and go to the harm reduction app. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not using lifeguard anymore because you're in recovery. You go to the it's just why can't we all work together? You mm-hmm. know, and and I really believe we live in a world thanks to Bonnie Henry and Patricia Daly and Christine Sutherland and all these other people with PhDs you know, that are running the harm reduction world, I, I really believe like if you're a person with substance use disorder and you leave it up to those wolves that you're going to be told, yeah, you don't go to meetings or don't get clean or you're dangerous, you'll die. Um, stick with us and stay on drugs. And and the evidence is out there. Like it, that's what they say. That's what Patricia Daly says. If you don't know who they are, Google them. You know, they speak at all the addiction conferences. They're like, you know, the gods of harm reduction and and like truly like you know mark tyndall safe supply guru you know he didn't tell bonnie henry hey bonnie people do recover like he didn't stick up for us mm-hmm. you know huge voice when it comes to safe supply i'm sure he follows bonnie henry like he didn't defend the recovery community at all so Wow. So that's what Better App is. You can download it. If you're going to search for Better App on your Android or iPhone, uh, search for Better My Recovery App, and it'll pop up. So Better My Recovery App, it's free. Um, and uh, hopefully it saves some lives and hopefully it connects people t- and it works around the world. Awesome. Well, thanks again for uh, taking the time out of your day to chat with us here. Thanks again for the privilege of inviting us out to uh, be presenters at the recovery conference. I look forward to it next year and um, whatever way we can contribute, we're, we're all in with you guys. And uh, we've actually got some clients that are currently housed with you guys. So we appreciate you taking care of them too. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we do. We, we try to, we, we just, we just try. That's it. (laughs) Keep trying. That's all we can do. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot, Giuseppe. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. The end. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.